Welcome to This Emergency Life, a podcast about your emergency life. My name is Claire Rankin and I'm a registered midwife and emergency critical care registered nurse. that lots of VD nurses have got uh, our midwives as well. And that's something that's been interesting to me. Um, you've worked as a midwife for um, nine odd years, I think, and switched to emergency nursing where you became a clinical nurse educator. What is it that attracted you to both midwifery and emergency nursing, do you think? That is such an interesting question and one that I've had to really sort of think about because it's been very a very interesting journey. So I was a midwife uh, for the first part of my career. So for, it was about five years uh, as in a tertiary centre and really enjoyed being a midwife. But after that period, just uh, felt the call for something a little bit more challenging and had been thinking about going into ICU but met someone who was a very passionate emergency nurse who sort of co-opted me into that world and having just spending an hour or so in that department and then starting there was, I was hooked really. Uh, I think the similarities they say between midwifery and emergency nursing is that there's that real unpredictability and particularly if you like working in a birthing suite, which I do, um, there's you don't know what's going to come through the door, which I know that a lot of emergency nurses can really relate to. And again, particularly in a busy tertiary maternity hospital, uh, your shift can be going along really nicely and then you'll have um, 27-week twins come in uh, with a woman who, who requires a lot of care. So I think that that's where the similarities are and that's really what drew me into emergency nursing. It was certainly a... Um, tough few months making that transition and particularly going from a uh, a place where I felt quite comfortable. I was a, an A-mum as a midwife, so I, I knew mostly what I was doing and taking that step into the world of emergency was a really steep learning curve, particularly for the first three months. Um, I still cringe sometimes when I think about some of the questions I asked uh, that seemed so basic but I'd never done um, an ECG on a male before, so I didn't know how to shave. I didn't know how to get the stickers to stick on the chest. And I asked someone about it and they said, you have to shave shave the chest and sort of gave me a razor. And I just remember looking at this razor and thinking, like the whole chest? It just was really, yeah, so it was a really steep curve and I was very fortunate that I had some incredibly patient um, nurses and doctors that, talked me through that sort of stuff and explained what a troponin was and and were really gentle with me in those first few months as I kind of learned how to be a nurse essentially from from um, day one so yeah it was definitely an interesting time but I automatically loved the ED um, the biggest difficulty for someone who's dual registered is staying current across both professions and that's something um, that gets difficult. You you have to really spend time um, in a place to become proficient and to get that experiential uh, knowledge. And and both those professions, you need you just need time to see a lot of different presentations and 
um, get some experience under your belt. So that's where the, the difficulty is, I think, in, in staying current in both roles. And how, how, do you, how do you do that nowadays? Oh, look, it's been, I think I sort of, I felt quite lucky with my foray. Um, I, I had really established a good knowledge as a midwife before I left. And I guess one of the other reasons that was driving me to, to seek something new is that I, I wasn't learning anything much. Midwifery is fantastic, but is limited in, time, in terms of the skills and independence and autonomy that you can develop. So I was I felt that I sort of hit the ceiling in that where in that area and wasn't learning as much. Um, so I think I had that that sort of opportunity to then go into somewhere like emergency. I the way I sort of did it was really just to focus on emergency for the for about five years and continue to do some bank or casual shifts as a midwife where I could just to keep my um, head in the game, I suppose. But I did notice that I. Uh, probably after doing that for four years, you start to lose confidence. So I would sort of do another stint back as a midwife for two or three months. Um, and then I took some time to work rural and remotely and sort of reconsolidated those skills. Um, and then in the last 12 months, I've been working solely as a midwife again. So it is, um, there's that call of the ED that's constantly there. And it's something um, I haven't quite found the balance, but I think it's just, Sort of switching between those two professions where you can and, and hopefully finding a role that allows you to uh, use both skill sets which probably isn't as um, they're not as, as readily available those kinds of roles as I think they should be but it is um, hopefully something that I can look forward to in the future. Oh, look, I, I, uh, we're going to get to this sort of stuff a bit later on but um you sound like the perfect ED nurse to have in uh, any ED that I want to work in. So, you know, when, when uh, a labouring <laughs> woman comes in, we all go running and I think it'd be great to have someone like you. Um, you Lots of uh, ED nurses either add in midwifery or they do midwifery first and then come to ED Um for the reason of being able to work remotely, it doesn't sound like that's what you've done. However, you have done some remote work in Outback Australia at Fitzroy Crossing, I think. Yep. Um, how did you find that? And what were the highs and lows of working in Outback Australia? Mm, it's, um, it's really interesting because, as you said, I know a lot of, I've got some colleagues too who, who do both uh, professions, uh, particularly to work for somewhere like the Royal Flying Doctor Service, which you need to have both those um, qualifications. But I was sort of more just following my interests more than anything. Uh, but it did provide me that opportunity to work remotely, which was, again, a, a, a fascinating place to work. It was a nice change of pace to begin with, um, coming from such a busy tertiary trauma centre um in Melbourne it was nice to have some time again to spend with patients and Fitzroy Crossing is an amazing community about 400 kilometers um uh east of Broome so your nearest sort of town is a fair way away the nearest cafe for me to get my latte was 400 kilometers away so I think that's <laughs> a lot for a um very for a caffeine addicted Melburnian um the local shell was where you got your coffee so that sort of it was that was it was a big change but it was so fantastic and and really lucky that um i knew some other nurses up there so it wasn't uh, it was sort of like going to a to a little family already 
fantastic communities um, up there uh, of some really wonderful people and um, the Indigenous community are really warm and welcoming and it was really nice to have that, to sort of have some continuity, um, which you obviously don't get in an emergency department, but it was such a, a central tenant of being a midwife is, is seeing women throughout their pregnancy and sometimes if you're lucky, seeing them with subsequent pregnancies. So I really enjoyed that component of seeing um, some patients um, and over the 12 months you'd see their children grow or you'd see... Um, Patients go and get a go down for their sort of renal checkups in Perth, and and to come back and sort of see their health journey over those twelve months was really nice. It also sort of um, exposed me to some first responder, um, which was really eye opening in a whole other world. So the um, St John's ambulance calls straight through to the hospital whenever a triple zero call comes in. So it's a little bit backwards in that. Um, someone down the road will call triple zero and they'll then that will go sort of Perth who then calls the hospital to say you've got a you know category one or whatever however far away um, so there was a few sort of bumpy trips in the night in the middle of the Kimberley um, through wet season with you know water coming up to the wheels getting out to these remote communities and even scarier coming back with some patients that had a real range of presentations no phone service, so having to make a lot of clinical calls and clinical judgment by yourself. And it was a really good time for me to do that. I'd been an emergency nurse for about three years, but I was very spoiled in having some really senior nurses that you could always fall back on and you could always get them and say, hey, can you just listen to this chest for me? I'm not sure. So it sort of was a bit of a crutch in a way and, and getting to the Kimberley was pushed me into developing some really good assessment skills. And um, and I suppose relying on my judgment to, to make that next call because there was no one else to do that. So it was a fantastic experience and, um, and I'm really grateful for it. It was time for me to come back though as well. I think after about 12 months, I sort of felt that it was, I needed to get that latte really. That's what it really came back to. <laughs> I've always thought about with um, working in only metropolitan, uh, you know, sometimes in remote, but pretty well supported by other doctors and specialty services and stuff is you, you, you're probably forced to think a bit more laterally, a little bit outside the square, because you can't just send somebody for a CT or for a, an angio or for any of these things. You you do have to actually rely on your own skills. Um, so I, 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 I just wanted to check, how long were you um, at Fitzroy Crossing? I was there for about uh, 10 months or just under a year um, sort of on and off. I did a, a two or three month stint and then went for a holiday for a month and then came back. Um, so, yeah, I was there for about a year. Um, and, yeah, it, as you said, Cliff, it was just a real uh, eye-opener, I suppose. And, you know, I think of a particular situation which comes to mind where I'd been, my experience was mostly in a big trauma centre in Melbourne uh, where we had a very, very slick um, 
approach to trauma that was really regimented and some of the best uh, medical and nursing staff, I think, in Australia, and possibly I'm a bit biased in that. But then (laughs) going out to uh, Fitzroy Crossing, I I remember getting a call out for someone who was driving back to Broome and had found a car upside down um, and they found the, um, the... passenger of the vehicle or the driver they weren't really sure sort of thrown about 10 meters out of that vehicle and we went out as first responders um and you could automatically see it was you know ticked so many of that trauma um sort of mechanisms it was a high speed most people do about 110 120 on a good day probably 140 in real life so high speed i don't think the passenger was wearing um or the driver was wearing a seat belt that was thrown out of the vehicle by this time it was um 37 degrees outside so it was hot and getting to that as the as the as the nurse and making that decision of oh my goodness i can't hear any um any air in the left side of the chest they're hypotensive they're tachycardic they're hypoxic and it's 35 kilometers away for me to get to the next to that next town so it really forced you to 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 make those decisions um, and to to rely on on your training, I think, and also your knowledge about about going sort of through that systems, but in yourself. So I think that then allowed me to come back to um, a, a tertiary centre again and feel really confident that I had that knowledge and that skill because I had. Um, picked up the the the, the pneumo and you know treated that patient and got them back to the hospital um, where we could get uh, an ICC in and sort of you know help with that patient. So it was a real, yeah, fantastic experience. Probably gives you real empathy for um, for the ambos too. So you know we do a lot of grumbling when they bring patients in, and we have such little insight into what their challenges are. Absolutely, I. Um, you know, I, I, my hat absolutely goes off to them and I'm not a good traveller. So I would often be sitting in the back of, um, of an ambulance bumping along, you know, this dirt track um, and, and, you know, really thinking, God, I need some stematol for myself or feeling sick myself and it's hot. And I, I did really think, gosh, I could never be um, an ambulance officer. So, yeah, the paramedics, absolutely, I have a lot of respect for their, their knowledge and skills is second to none. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I didn't, um, it's interesting hear you talk about sort of midwifery and the adrenaline that comes with it. I, I never really thought of it like that. I've often um, thought of midwifery and sort of working in a maternity ward as one of the happiest places to be in a hospital because usually the outcome's quite good. Um, whereas in ED, it's usually not so favourable for some and it's usually the worst day for, for patients presenting. They never wake up wanting to be in ED that day. And you've kind of answered the question that I was going to ask about why the switch, but I guess more um, more like is the – because it's so um, adrenaline-packed, like you said, and the adrenaline – do you find that the, the coming down after that is different between um, like in the maternity ward to the ED? Like do you – and how do you manage that? you yeah it's really it's really interesting and I think um, this probably goes towards a lot of clinicians is that ability to turn off after a shift can be really difficult and interestingly I struggled with that as a midwife as much as I did as an emergency nurse Um, but I suppose I should also preface it by saying that I'm probably a bit of a unicorn and that I love the 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 complex stuff and that's why I became an ED nurse whereas most midwives are very much about you know, our central tenant, our central philosophy is normal birth and being with women to support them as they become 
parents essentially and it's all about normal so I suppose that's I was unique and that I wanted to care for the women whose births weren't normal and still provide them with either sort of midwifery focused um, and person-centered care that was able to respond to the whole sort of spectrum of um, different clinical presentations and we know that women are becoming you know obstetrics is becoming more complex we're seeing women with a lot more comorbidities uh, with a lot more complexities and I suppose that's what I wanted to develop that skill I I was caring for women who had um, mitral valve stenosis and I had no idea what that meant and I had no idea that their respirate increasing was significant of of um, that those changes so I think I was really pushed to um, to sort of wanting to find that out, I suppose. Um, and I guess too, you know, obstetrics is unique. It, it is absolutely, the highs are really, really high. You're there at such a privileged time when um, parents are meeting their baby and there's nothing better than that. Um, it is absolutely phenomenal to sort of be there for, for women. But then the lows can be very, very low. And that is when you're losing a baby or having reproductive loss which feels so unnatural. I think that is often what I would, I think I'd say the difference is with emergency is there is some, um, I'm not particularly religious or philosophical, but there is some reason behind why people are there. It's they're coming towards the end of their life or they've had an accident and absolutely they don't want to be there, but you can provide that care. Whereas I think for maternity, it was, there's it's hard to find a reason between losing um, behind losing a baby or um, meeting parents uh, women who just desperately want to becoming mum want to become mothers and aren't able to for whatever reason um, or whose babies are born very very early and have a really difficult um, you know challenge or journey ahead as they sort of transition into the world so I think you know I think that answers the question in that it it is yeah very high highs very low lows. Um, but still, it's all—it's really about the person that you've got in in, in front of you that you're caring for. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm trying to think back to my um, you know, over my career, I've only seen two babies born in an ED, um, <clears throat> and both times it was it was that high high. It was so exciting. Um, yeah, it was so exciting because when I'd seen them, I'd, I think the first one that I saw, I, I hadn't become a father, so I hadn't seen a baby being born. Um, and when I did my midwifery placement as a student, a lot of the women didn't want me in the room and that was fine and their choice and I completely got that. So, um, so it was so exciting to see the baby being born. Um, but it was interesting to see the staff in the ED when the, when the baby was being born because it's something that they're not used to. You saw these sort of normally cool, calm, collected people who so knowledgeable and so skilled and, you know, if you're if I'm in an accident, I want them looking after me, you kind of just – you can just see not, – not collapse or fall to pieces, but you could just see that they were starting to question themselves. You could see their hands were shaking a little bit um, and that they were becoming a bit sort of stressed about the whole process as well. Like, what advice would you give to emergency staff when there is no time to get that woman up to the maternity ward or you don't have a maternity ward in your hospital um, yeah. and the baby's to be delivered in the ED? It is. Um, I completely have seen that myself too, John, is the panic and particularly some very experienced um, medical staff come to mind who you want them next to you when someone's in cardiac arrest. They can 
throw a tube down like it's, you know, from across the room sort of darted across into the airway and then a baby's <laughs> on the way and the panic is um, palpable. It is, look, I completely appreciate that it's a really scary thing. It's not something we see as, we, we get to see a lot, particularly as um nurses who are coming through um, and it's undergrads a lot of if I hadn't have been a midwife I don't know that I would have ever seen a baby being born before I sort of um, as an undergraduate student so I completely appreciate that it, it feels scary and you've particularly um, it's there are differences in that midwives are probably the only profession who get excited when women are crying and screaming in pain <laughs> Um, when they vomit, uh, when they want to get up and suddenly decide they want to go home. And we think, we think, great, I'll put some gloves on, we're about to catch a baby. And I know that's so different for nursing where pain and distress and psychological distress and women, um, you know, going through that transition is is really scary. So I completely appreciate that it's um, a little bit panic inducing. I think the best thing that I would say is, just accept that the baby's probably going to be born. Um, I think the the worry that I always have is, if, particularly for those um, who have uh, where we work in a mixed ED, where you might have a maternity service um, on site, but it's a bit far. It feels very far away from your ED when a woman's in labour. Just accept that the baby's probably, you know, going to be born in ED because there'd be nothing worse. I think than trying to transfer a woman and she bursts in the corridor or on a wheelchair or in a lift it's not good for anyone in that situation um so I think it's like other sort of aspects of ED we need to be safe for transfer um and we need to make sure that woman's not going to that the woman's not going to birth in a in a um unsafe environment the other thing is that we're basically preparing for two patients. We have um, a woman to look after, but then we're about to be blessed with a baby who may or may not transition to life in the way that we want it to. So we really need to start getting ready to receive that baby. 90% of the time, things go really well. And particularly um, most of the time, most women are coming into ED, hopefully because they just can't quite make it to their birth centre or the birthing unit. Um, so hopefully there's a midwife that can come down or potentially there's um, a doctor or a, another nurse who's delivered babies in the department that you can get to come and help you. But really it's just about putting some gloves on and making sure that baby comes straight up onto the bum's chest and, and stays there um, until you can make sure the baby's crying and happy and um, has made the transition to the world well. Uh, and I guess within all undertone of all that is just take a few deep breaths um, and, and try and stay calm for the woman because I think I haven't had kids but I can imagine if everyone's panicking in front of you, it's not particularly reassuring for that woman um, and we really want to make sure that everyone stays calm during that. So, yeah, in a nutshell, without being able to teach you to be a midwife in two <laughs> seconds, I think that's the um, that's the answer I'd give to ED oh, nurses. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any, like, I, I remember back to my undergrad a long time ago and the only thing that I remember from my training was that you don't get the woman to push until after the baby's head's crowned and that it's turned left, like it's the head's rotated. It could be left or right, I can't remember. Like I said, I haven't had that much <laughs> experience. Are there any other like do's and don'ts, like do not do this, do this, like when – when the baby's birthing? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the, the, it's really difficult, I suppose, because the techniques that midwives and obstetricians learn is about minimising um, things like perineal trauma. So minimising tearing. 
um, that you don't necessarily need to learn to do those things to deliver a baby. It's really just making sure, it sounds a bit dramatic, but just make sure you don't drop the baby on the floor. They're slippery. Um, they come out really quickly sometimes. So I think there are some techniques that, um, which is putting your, your hand gently on the baby's head as the baby's head is being born. Um, and then sometimes as the baby's head uh, sort of, turns as you've said John they're trying to narrow sort of navigate through their pelvis so we gently help the shoulder pop out underneath the pubic bone um so I guess the the do is don't start doing things or sorry don't I'll start with don't don't start doing things if you have no idea what you're doing because it's it's dangerous for the woman it's dangerous for the baby um the best thing that you can do is as soon as the baby's born and most of them in ED just kind of fly out. Usually it is literally about just making sure that you are literally catching the baby. Um, is putting the baby straight onto the mother's chest, skin to skin. Um, we know that there's so much fantastic research about the benefit of skin to skin um, and we dry that baby off really quickly to make sure that they're breathing and crying and that is the best sound in the world after a baby's been born is hearing a baby cry. You know automatically that they have a good heart rate, they've got a good rest rate and that awful blue colour that they come out um, with will start to, to go away slowly. So um, I think a lot of nurses see that sort of cyanotic baby and, and panic, but we know that's, to yeah, <laughs> I know that's totally normal, um, but we just need to give it a little bit of a minute. That baby's never taken a breath before, so I think we just need to give them some time to make that adjustment and, um, and giving them a good rub and dry is the best thing that we can do. Um, and really it's about, it is a real specialty. So I suppose just like any other area, we wouldn't go doing any procedure that was outside our scope and getting someone in to help us or talk us through if we can is the best thing that we, we can do. Um, we do have Piper available for anyone that works remotely too. You can always call them and get onto an obstetrician. Um, so they'll talk you through lots of things. Just the other day, um, I was speaking with an obstetrician who was on the phone to um, a paramedic in uh, rural Gippsland somewhere and they had a breech baby in the back of their ambulance hooning down the highway trying to get to a hospital and she was basically preparing these um, paramedics to, to do a breech birth on the side of the road. So there's help available if you need someone to talk you through and sometimes that's what it is. It's often us on the other end of the phone saying, okay, put your hands here, now do this, now do this. Um, because it is it is a specialty it is absolutely a specialty area and I think there's you know minimal expectation for, for for ED nurses particularly to have that sort of knowledge and skill. Great advice do nothing it's yeah. let, let the woman and the baby do it and put them straight onto the chest and call for help that's great advice I think um, probably going then from one of the high highs to one of the low lows like I know that um, you know pregnant women present to ED for many reasons, not just for giving birth. Um, so like ectopic pregnancies, like eclampsia to name a few, even trauma. I guess what are some signs and symptoms that the emergency nurse may discover during their, their assessment of the obstetric patient that should raise some red flags in their heads and know that this needs to be escalated quite quickly? Look, I think the first thing that we need to remember is that there are different physiological parameters um, for pregnant women. So we can't necessarily um, put them on a sort of a normal observation chart or a normal observation parameters because we have uh, a different expectation, I suppose, for pregnant women. So the first thing I think that um, ED nurses, especially at triage, need to think about is getting hold of an obstetric um, uh, observation chart that has those specific parameters because 
we won't be able to recognize, for example, a woman presenting with hypertension in pregnancy, as we often know, can be a sign of preeclampsia. And the definition in obstetrics is a lot lower than it is in um, sort of the non-obstetric population. So we say hypertension is a BP over 140 repeatedly or systolic of 90, which is quite different um, in the non-emergency, uh, sorry, the non-obstetric population. So it's really important that we get hold of that to help track and trigger deterioration in, in pregnant women. Uh, I think in terms of uh, sort of looking at assessment, it's it's just like emergency nurses have such great assessment skills and I think they need to trust that their skill set and go through the ABCDE approach um, as they would usually and don't get fixated on the pregnancy being all of the problem. That is often something that we see um, a lot, I think, uh, emergency um, clinicians do, which is get really fixated on the pregnancy being the cause of all problems and not actually looking at their, using their assessment skills and saying, hang on a second, this woman is hypotensive and tachycardic. Is she, is she developing sepsis somewhere, which we're so good at, at recognising and responding to? Um, similarly with sort of abdo pain, we tend to really get fixated on abdo pain must be the baby coming. And it's great for, for ED nurses and to, to sort of delve into that. What type of pain is it? Um, is it coming and going and thinking about differential causes? The, it's rare, but there is that possibility of other more complications in obstetrics like, um, you know, abdominal artery dissections because of those big, those massive physiological changes. So it's really just about coming back to your assessment skills um, and doing that really thorough primary and secondary um, assessment before jumping to the conclusion that it's definitely pregnancy related. Um, I think, too, a lot of women, uh, they won't necessarily know the difference, and particularly if it's their, their first-time parent, they might not always know and uh, the difference between, for example, normal labour that's presenting versus something that's a little bit more acute or pathological. So it's just uh, really important to speak with that woman and, you know, and palpate a pulse and do all of the things that you normally do um, before sort of making a leap to she's a, she needs she needs to go straight to the birthing unit she's about to have a baby um, certainly I think that would that would be the best advice I could give that's great thanks Claire there's um it's it's interesting to hear you talk about um it sounds like instead of a painful distracting injury it's a distracting a distracting pregnancy i love yeah um, that's it's a good way to describe it in victoria uh the mercy hospital for women have developed the obstetric triage decision aid tool which actually until john told me about it i, I didn't even know existed um and I understand there's lots of different approaches to triage for obstetric patients um, around the world, such as within the Canadian triage acuity scale. In your opinion, do you have a preference for a triage tool um, kit that best suits obstetric patients coming into the ED or do we have some way to go there? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I, I think we really do have a bit of a way to go, um, particularly in um, in, in an Australian context, I, having been a clinical educator in, in an adult ED, I really felt for nurses learning triage and not getting a whole lot in that um, obstetric component of the ATS. Um, so I think the Mercy Hospital 
tool is fantastic. It's been developed not only for emergency nurses who are triaging pregnant women, but also for midwives who don't have the same, um, I suppose, approach to triage that ED nurses do and might not quite have the same assessment um, skills. So I, I think that's a fantastic tool. And I think it would be great to start progressing something like that, that nationally, because I it, it would be it's really important for both, I guess, sides of the profession, um, for emergency nurses to have a bit more confidence in in what they're looking for uh, when they're when they're triaging pregnant women, um, but also for midwives to sort of appreciate that there is sometimes non-obstetric reasons that women will present, and sometimes midwives are guilty of also getting a bit fixated on on the pregnant bump and assuming that everything is pregnancy related and not looking more into um, other symptoms that might actually tell us that there's a non-obstetric presentation. So I think we, the, the, the Mercy Tool's fantastic. I've also, um, where I'm at Western Health and we're looking at introducing the Birmingham symptom specific obstetric triage scale, which is a bit of a mouthful. So BSOTS for short, um, and that was really, again, developed to sort of try and um, reduce that variation in, in settings. It is quite a big tool, but it was really developed particularly for midwives to make sure that we're seeing women um, in a time-critical nature and to sort of start getting a little bit more structure to that approach. The sort of history between um, behind midwifery triage has sort of been, are you in labour? If you're not in labour, go home. Or if you are, all right, we'll take you up to birthing and you'll have a baby. So that's really trying to sort of flesh that out a little bit more and say, let's sort of pick up on those other presentations. And then the same goes for those emergency nurses. I think um, helping them to sort of differentiate between, um, is this a, a normal part of pregnancy or is there something else? And uh, I think women often... They, they come to emergency majority because it's something that doesn't feel necessarily to them pregnancy related. Um, most pregnant women, especially in a developed country like Australia with where we have so great access to maternity care, they know to call the midwife or they know to call the hospital to say they're coming in. So if they're coming to, to emergency, it's usually because there is something a little bit different um, and they don't necessarily think that it's their baby's being born or there's something to do with the pregnancy so it's sort of worth us um, making sure that we are looking at, at everything and really doing a thorough assessment um, and things like the, the mercy tool is great for that I've had a look at it recently again myself and it would be great to sort of see that progressed I think um, and hopefully sort of taken nationally to have a, a more standardized approach to how we triage pregnant women. I, I, I think it might be a good idea for us to put uh, a link to the to the Mercy um, uh, tool in in our show notes so uh, people can have a look at it because it's really quite interesting to have a look. It's it, it it's so straightforward. And I think the reason that it sort of matches so well, um, and the reason I like it is it matches up to our ATS categories, which is it makes it so easy. I think we know those ATS categories as triage nurses inside out and back to front. We know the criteria. Uh, so sort of having something that is Australian made for, for our setting, I think is fantastic. Just got one more question for you, Claire. Just listening to you, you're very passionate about um, midwifery and you're very person-centred. Like I can, the way you're talking, it's always women's, the woman cent is the centre of your care and everything. And you're also passionate about ED nursing as well. You know, in your opinion, do you think that um, we cover ONG emergencies enough in postgrad training, in undergrad or postgrad? Or 
I know it's hard and the work that some of our colleagues are doing on finding out what needs to be in a course, we, there's a lot that we have to cram in. Do you think we're, we're covering it enough or is there more that we should be sort of focusing on? I've, uh, look, again, I'm probably a little bit biased, but whenever I've had the opportunity of I've presented on this topic um, to emergency nurses and I can never get enough into uh, it started off with an hour presentation. We're now at two hours and we're usually racing to get through that content. And there's a lot of questions from um, crit care nurses that want to know a little bit more. So I think um, the way... Uh, you know, most of our emergency settings are is that we have maternity services on site. So we're going to be, we're likely to see pregnant women, but also um, as we've sort of, you know, as I've talked about it personally in my career, going rural or remotely, you need to really be that jack of all trades. And that includes having um, some maternity um, sort of knowledge as well as, you know, those other specialties like peds and trauma. So I think, again, my bias is talking, but I'd love to see more um, obstetrics in. And I, and I really think it would just help with the confidence for emergency nurses and particularly with the way, uh, the complexities that we're seeing um, and certainly where I'm working, we're seeing some women with some really complex um, pre-pregnancy conditions like complete heart block, you know, women coming in with a heart rate of 27 in, in labour that, yeah, really sort of... Um, requires some pretty specialist sort of knowledge and skills to to understand that so it I think emergency nurses are in such a great position because they um, are so adaptable and um, have such great I guess again just coming back to assessment skills they're able to look at, at, at people and say something doesn't look right and often when you drill down into it they're, they're doing that really quick you know foot of the bed, ABCDE, and they're taking all that information into account. So I'd love to see us sort of boost um, boost that knowledge just to really make nurses feel a bit more comfortable with what they're seeing and what they're assessing um, and trusting that a little bit more. That's great. Thanks so much for talking to us today, Claire. It's been really fun listening to you as well. It's been great. Thank you. I feel I'm sick of my own voice, but um, <laughs> hopefully it's, um, it's you know, pretty nice and ego boost to chat about yourself for an hour. So thank you. <laughs> and the other thing I just want to, I completely agree with John. This has been a fascinating insight into being a midwife and emergency nurse. I, I want to put a bit of a caveat out there. Um, each one of us throughout this conversation has referred to the pregnant woman as uh, a patient. Um, so I'm going to just get all midwives who have a complaint about that. I'm going to give John's email address <laughs> out and his Twitter account so you can all contact him uh, specifically. Apologies and in advance that. now. <laughs> it's okay. It's a, it's always a slip and I um, often going back into emergency land, I start calling people, oh, the woman in bed four and they're actually a man. So at least you're getting <laughs> the patient is it's gender neutral. So um, it's a force of habit for us all. <laughs> hey, thanks very much, uh, Claire. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Is there somewhere where they can reach out to you for more questions or? I'm a little bit um, in that I'm a, a sort of not a particularly um, I'm not out on social media much, good so idea. <laughs> so really good um, idea. if you want to find me, you can contact John Thompson and he'll uh, give me an email. <laughs> Everything goes through John. That's hey, all right. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really good uh, time to chat. Thank you. Thank you.
for listening in. Just a reminder that none of the opinions or thoughts shared on the show necessarily represent those of Cena or our employers. The music you're listening to is by Ben Maswick and The Millions. Um, they can be found on iTunes and Spotify and all the usual places. If you have a suggestion or a recommendation for a guest on the show, why not head over to thisemergencylife.com and leave us a message or you can email us at thisemergencylife at gmail.com. You've been listening to This Emergency Life, a podcast about your emergency life. <laughs>